Welcome to the Black College Sports and Education Foundation weekly podcast, where we equip students, athletes, their families, and supporters with vital tools and information that will impact their decisions on educational opportunities and careers. Tune in every Thursday night at 7 Eastern Standard Time as we host prominent guests from a variety of backgrounds, such as education, sports, medicine, and the corporate world. Remember, the Black College Sports and Education Foundation is your one-stop resource center. Now here's your host, Gil McGregor. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Black College Sports and Education Foundation podcast. I'm your host this evening. My name is Gil McGregor. As you know, we've had some outstanding individuals on our podcast, and we hope you've enjoyed our conversations with them. I've been very fortunate. You know, I played a little basketball back in my day, but I never played basketball with anybody that had a 1,000 assists. So today I'm happy to talk to someone who gave the ball up when they were playing. In the great <laughs> history of Winston-Salem State University basketball, you've heard of names like Cleo Hill, and you've heard of names like Earl the Pearl Monroe. But in between those two guys, was another great, great player, all CIAA. Winston-Salem State University has his jersey hanging in the rafters at the game center. We're talking about Mr. Teddy Blunt. Ted, welcome to Black College Sports and Education Foundation podcast. Well, thanks an awful lot for calling me, and thank you for helping me to relive the past. Well, when you talk about reliving the past, let's take that past from where it originated. You're a Philadelphia ball player, right? That's right. Simon Gratz High School, school of Rashid Wallace and Aaron McKee and Leroy Kelly, Hall of Famer from the Cleveland Browns. Well, you know, I was going to ask you just about that whole Philadelphia basketball, Philadelphia athletic sports history. I know a lot of people, particularly when we talked about ball players in the South, Everybody says New York, but I think they kind of overlook Philly because didn't Earl Monroe come from Philly too? Yes, Earl Monroe, Will Chamberlain, Wally Jones, Jim Washington. I mean, there were a number of excellent basketball players that come from Philadelphia, probably even more than New York City. What might have been the cause of such success out of the, the city of brotherly love? I think a lot of it had to do with the neighborhood community centers, the YMCAs, the boys clubs, the girls clubs. The community basically rallied around having places for young people to go and for young people to be able to participate in different things. Your high school basketball coach, who was that coach and what kind of things did he instill in Teddy Blunt before you made the trek down to Winston-Salem State Teachers College at the time? His last name was Lorenz, and what he basically concentrated on was the athletes being in good shape, the athletes coming ready to give 100% all the time, and the athletes coming ready to play with one another. Those were the kind of traits that he really focused in on, and because of that, we were very successful as a high school basketball team. When did you make that first contact, or at least the closing contact, with Clarence Big House games that got you at Winston-Salem State instead of somewhere else? Actually, it wasn't the contact with Coach Gaines. It was Leon Whitley, who was a graduate of Winston-Salem and who had also played on Coach Gaines's first basketball championship team 
regarding the CIAA. And Leon grew up in Philadelphia. He went to Ben Franklin High School. He played in the backcourt with John Cheney, who ended up going to Bethune-Cookman, won a national championship at Cheney State, and ended up coaching at Temple University. So Leon was the one that really identified not only me, Earl, a guy by the name of Jim Young, Gil Smith, but a number of basketball players in this area benefit from Leon Whitley actually identifying Winston-Salem as a place to go that we could really be successful. Obviously a very good move. When you got down to Winston-Salem State University and you had a chance to interact with Big House Games, did you feel that? Did you know that it was going to be as successful as it turned out being? Well, actually, at that time, in the early 60s, there really weren't scholarships as per se. A kid got a scholarship. It was really work aid. And I went down to Winston with the assumption that my bill would be covered. Okay. For the first month, my bill wasn't covered. <laughs> I didn't have any money for books. I didn't have a card to get food in the cafeteria. And not until the alumni played the potential new Winston-Salem basketball team for the 61-62 season did I get a chance to show and go. And because of that one activity against the former Winston-Salem great basketball players, the alumni, had I not made a major showing, I probably would not have been at Winston-Salem State University. That's an amazing story. So for one month, you, right. you just was there. I was there. I was able to go to class. But again, I didn't have a meal ticket and I didn't have money for books. In fact, I just barely had enough money to get the Winston-Salem from Philadelphia. And so I had to wait until that one special opportunity, that one moment where the alumni played the upcoming Winston-Salem basketball team before a packed house, and Coach Gaines gave me the opportunity to play, and I demonstrated that I could be a relatively decent ball player. And then I threatened to go home, and he said, no, don't go home. And that's how the story started. There was only one game I never started, and that was the first game that we ever played. And after the first game, after the first five minutes, he put me in, and I started every game until I graduated. And we're talking about all CIAA all four years. We're talking about just the starring role. And it's amazing. I, I had a chance to talk to some people about just that great line of guards that you were part of when we talk about Cleo Hill and then Earl and then you, and you know this, and I don't know about our listening audience, but I asked someone who was Coach Gaines' favorite player, and you were pretty resoundingly said his favorite player. Did you know that you were his favorite player? I didn't look at it that way. I just looked at it as me probably being able to lead the other ball players in the right direction, and he saw that in me in terms of a leadership capability. And whenever the game started, I pretty much determined what would happen on the floor. So by definition, for him, I was his coach on the floor, and the guys pretty much listened to what I had to say. And they did what I had to say, and if not, they never got the ball. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good incentive. <laughs> if you want the ball, you need to listen. Huh? <laughs> That's right. Don't listen. Don't get the ball. <laughs> Your decision to attend Winston-Salem State, and once you got that, academically. Talk to us a little bit about that. It was called Teacher's College at the time. I was the last in the group to go. After Cleo, it was me, and then Teacher College did not exist anymore. Then it became from Teacher's College to Winston-Salem State, 
and now Winston-Salem State University. Did you have in mind on being a teacher? Is that what you wanted to be? No, I just had in mind the opportunity to go to college. I mean, when I graduated from high school, nobody pushed me in any particular direction. And at Winston-Salem, there really weren't that many options in terms of what you could and could not do. For instance, in the healthcare field, there was nursing, and I wasn't going to be a nurse. My mother was a nurse, and the other option was to be a teacher. And so that was the field that I had chosen. When we look at all the things you've done since Winston-Salem, now, how far did basketball go before you decided it wasn't going to be about basketball, it was going to be about everything else? Well, actually, by the time I became a junior, I was the first from the CIAA to be asked to participate in an Olympic trials basketball team in 1964. So I was one of the representatives from the NAIA, and the other person on that team with me was Richard Glover, who also went to Winston-Salem. So we were the first two from the CIAA to actually try out for the Olympics. And again, I was a junior, Glover was a senior. Where were those trials and how was that experience, Teddy? The trials were in Kansas City and the trials were quite interesting. I mean, people like Luke Jackson and Willis Reed ultimately made the U.S. Olympic team because they both were about 6'10", you know, 6'11", weighed about 250, 260. So it was a combination of those from small college and the major colleges that made up the 12 that ultimately had gone to the Olympics. And that Olympic team actually won the Olympics in 1964. You see such a difference now in just the world of basketball. How is basketball today in Teddy Blunt's eyes when you see the contracts? We just went through a free agency where guys are getting $200 million and the game has gone so global in terms of who comes over here and plays and then guys going, I played seven years in Europe myself. So your thoughts on basketball now is Teddy Blunt season. From a college perspective, probably prior to 1970, most of your great black basketball and football players went to HBCUs. If you were to go back and just say prior to 1970, how many actually went to major colleges and universities. So that would give you an idea in terms of how strong the conference was prior to 1970, when you had your best black athletes playing against one another. So in order for us to be successful, we had to compete with the best black athletes. And not only that, during my time, we were able to also scrimmage games with Wake Forest, which was right across town from us. Guys like Lenny Chapel and Billy Packer, you know, we would go over and play them, and they would also come over and play us. And that tradition started with Cleo Hill and Billy Packer. And then when they left and when I started, then I would go over with the ball players, and then they would reciprocate and come over to Winston-Salem. But that was a different time, so therefore coaches had the opportunity to select high-quality caliber athletes, whereas today those same athletes – aren't going to HBCUs because the opportunities are different and the time is different. When you talk about HBCUs, and we know not only are you a graduate of HBCU, we know that you are still involved with the concerns of HBCUs, and so are we. That's what this foundation is about, Teddy, and that's why we're so happy to have you on because of the kind of things that you've been involved with. And can you expound a little bit upon what you see as some of the problems of HBCUs that maybe people aren't necessarily focusing on that could help HBCUs 
stay competitive and be successful in today's market? Well, I think, number one, those that either attend or go to an HBCU have to find it within their heart and within their means to start to give back. Because in order for any institution to be successful, there has to be a financial stream where funds go into the system, whether it's for athletics or other student-related activities. And then two, to stay connected to the schools in terms of giving back. Whether you serve on a committee, whether you serve with the Alumni Association, you've got to give back so that those that are there can see you and you represent the path to the future. In my case, I was able to go back, serve on the Board of Trustees, serve as the chair of the Board of Trustees, chair of the endowment as well. So it's little things like that that can make all the difference in the world. And then generational. My daughter went to Winston-Salem. My granddaughter went to Winston-Salem. That's a generational thing. But in North Carolina, they have what is called a quota system regarding out-of-state students. So once you reach 18 19% of your student population from out-of-state, no other out-of-state youngsters can go to that school. And that's the formula that was established by that General Assembly. I think that that needs to be removed so it would open the doors for HBCUs to grow and to help their population to grow. But you're almost capped out when you can't take in but 18 to 20% of those that have graduated that might at least have family members that can come back to also continue that legacy. Now, does that change state to state? Is North Carolina one of No, North states? Carolina is totally unique. Wow. I did not realize that. And also within the system, you've got to recruit youngsters from the underdeveloped sections of North Carolina. There's even a formula for that as well. So you've got to have so many that, let's say, come from a rural area, a suburban area, and an urban area. Another quota system, which I think if somebody was to challenge that in court, I think it would go away. But that has not occurred. That is interesting, Teddy. That is extremely interesting. And the idea of challenging that might be something that some conversation can be spurred for that. And I know you are not only socially involved, and you have been, and reading your resume, it talks about all the things that you've done and your previous employment. You were gang-related, trying to stop violence in the streets and all the different kind of things that you've been involved with, education, technical. You've been on boards here, and you've talked. Tell us a little bit about that background of Teddy Blunt. Well, one of the things that Coach Gaines said to me as a ball player, and he said it in front of the team, he said that I was more than just a basketball player that played a game on a court. He said that he was preparing me with my leadership skills for the court of life. How do you make it after basketball? What do you do after basketball? How can you have an impact on a community after basketball? And basketball is just a game. In those four years, game time is up. It's about life. And are you prepared for life? Are you prepared for the different things that come with that? Are you prepared for marriage? Are you prepared for raising a kid? Are you prepared for going back to graduate school? Are you prepared to give back in your particular community? Let's give back. We're always looking for somebody to give us something. And sometimes we ought to be willing to reciprocate and give back. Now, you talk about your postgraduate work. You worked at Rutgers. Is that not right? Actually, I graduated from Rutgers a year after I graduated from Winston-Salem State University. And then I taught at the University of Delaware and Dell Tech Community College. 
And then I worked in the Red Clay in the Wilmington School District for 36 years as an administrative director, overseeing from special education services to middle schools to federal and state-related programs to ancillary services, and that was within the school district. And then outside of the school district, I became very actively involved in politics for 25 years, making a difference in terms of where I live. And once you start to give back in the community and people see that you actually care about your neighborhood and your immediate surroundings, then they tend to gravitate to you and they support you in terms of your effort and initiative. And on top of that, I had three daughters. And one of the things that I stressed was the importance for them to go back to school. And all three went back to school. All are doing exceptionally well. And that's my legacy. My legacy isn't about me and all that I've done. My legacy is about what my children are doing and have done, and now their children. One of your daughters, I believe, is very much involved with politics. Lisa, her name? That's right, Lisa Blunt Rochester. She was the first woman and person of color to be elected in the state of Delaware to the U.S. Congress. And that has never happened in 232 years to elect a woman or a person of color. And then my second daughter is working with a nuclear company that oversees power plants around the world. They can go in and shut wow. down a power plant. And she went to North Carolina A&T State University. Oh, and then my yeah. youngest daughter, Marla, is a professor at Rutgers University now, and she also graduated from Rutgers as well as Winston-Salem. Outstanding. And she was professor of the year the last two years. Ted, I'm telling you, what we're trying to point out, we're trying to point out on this podcast and this foundation, we're trying to point out the importance of HBCUs and the importance of their doors staying open and who they produce, the Teddy Blunts, his daughters, and that legacy of the second generation, third generation of graduates from HBCUs. And what you've just done is you've laid out why we are here. You won't believe this. Stephen A. Smith was in Wilmington, Delaware, and his focus is on HBCUs. They're going to do a live broadcast from Wilmington, Delaware, on September the 26th of this year, focusing on HBCUs. He was here to help with a gala to raise funds for HBCUs. There were 300 people. They raised maybe 50 to 75,000. The mayor in Wilmington made possible for an additional large amount of money to be targeted for students that are going to HBCUs. And so we're in the forefront, and Stephen A. has most certainly been the kind of graduate from Winston-Salem that not only talks about HBCUs, but he's doing something about it in terms of standing up. Not only is he putting his mouth on the line, he's putting his money on the line. That is just the kind of stories that we want people to hear because if someone else hears it, they may do what Ms. Maya Angelou said. She said, when you get, give, when you learn, teach. And I think that's just such a wonderful slogan to live by because everybody can play it forward when they do that. Well, like when I was school, Coach Gaines used to say, here are three things you need to carry with you in life. He said, number one, don't be a dummy. Number two, successful people don't chase other people's dreams. And number three, opportunity may knock at the door, but it has never picked a lock. So all those little comments and statements have always stuck with me. And that's what helped to mold me. 
that's hopefully what made me, you know, a married man for almost 60 years, uh, wow. married to the same person. Now, most people, they put marriages together, person A, <laughs> B, and C. I got the same lady for almost 60 years, and that has virtually been a blessing because you always need somebody to ground you, you know, when you think yeah. you're bigger than you are. Her job is to ground me. Hey, boy, you ain't that big. <laughs> you, you might be important, but you ain't that big. But we need somebody like that in our life to let us know when we're going astray because we think we're the smartest thing in the barrel, but it takes a person that's not in that atmosphere. She doesn't travel in my circle. So when I want an honest answer from somebody, I go to my wife because she ain't in the crowd, you know, and that's where honesty is important. And one guy said to me, he said, what's your success for being married so long? Yeah. I said, it's just saying yes. She said, every time she says something, I just say yes. Yeah, you, you know what I mean? I ain't got no discussion. <laughs> because <laughs> women back. speak in paragraphs and men speak in sentences. Yes. When you look back on your success and you draw it back to Winston-Salem State University, you talk about the things that Coach Gaines talked to you, Coach Gaines said to you. Is there a professor back there that you recall spending time in that classroom that kind of got you ready for this life? I think just having the opportunity to be in the classroom got me prepared for this life because everybody didn't get that opportunity. I come from a family of four, right? I'm the first to go to college, the first to go to graduate school, you know, the first to be elected to public office, the first to serve as a chairman of a board. And meanwhile, I've got a brother that ended up then going back to school, and he started at Winston-Salem. He was the first on-air TV person in Winston-Salem of color, who then moved to Charlotte to be on television and then moved to Detroit and then ultimately came back to Philly. I've got a sister that spent 40 years in public education with a double master's degree, serving as a high school principal. And I've got another sister that owned a PR firm. And all of that started with my mother, who said to each of us, it's important that you get an education because that represents your foundation. And nobody can take that away from you. They might not like it, but they can't take that <laughs> away from you. You are the living essence of what we're trying to get across on our podcast because we're talking about the exceptional, and I'll say that word again, Teddy, the exceptional individuals that emanated from HBCUs, from our community, and you talk about before the 70s. Well, I'm one of those 70s individuals that came out of Rayford, North Carolina, and went a different direction because of folks like you that made it possible for me to have a choice. And to hear your voice and all that you've accomplished, from Philly to Wilmington, Delaware, and your family, it's the kind of thing that gives our community the consciousness that it needs to continue. And we cannot help but just thank you so much for your sharing with us, Teddy Blunt. As I talked to Clarence Gaines Jr., and I said to Clarence Gaines Jr., <laughs> I said, now, you know, he had some great players. Who's his most favorite? And he said, Gil, you can't ask me that. So it's, like asking, <laughs> it's like asking who's your favorite child. He said, but he did have a favorite. I said, well, who was his favorite? And he said, well, it was Teddy Blunt. And he said, you know how I know he was a favorite? And I said, how? because he let him babysit us, me and my sister, Lisa. We, he babysitted us, and he said, Coach Gaines said, I am not going to let Andy Knucklehead babysit my children. <laughs> 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 I 
You probably Coach heard James that from said, Ernie too, right? <laughs> yeah, I heard it from Ernie. When Coach Gaines said, you're not a knucklehead, then that would say that obviously Coach Gaines knew what he was doing. <laughs> he used to say, he gives everybody help, but he never says anything to you. I said, well, I'm just thankful. You know, I, I did what I was supposed to do. You know, when it's time to practice, you get there early. When practice is over, you stay late. You know, that makes you different than the other yeah. guy. And yeah. the one thing that he also told me, he said, God doesn't guarantee anybody anything. He only guarantees us an opportunity to try to be successful. But he doesn't guarantee success. He lets you in the room. Success is predicated on how much effort and energy one is willing to put into something. And if you're willing to put the time, the effort, and the energy into it, it makes all the difference in the world. And secondly, he said, just care about people. Care about what you're doing. And he said, that shows more than anything else in the world. You know, and I know there are people who listen to us, and they may think that I lean heavily on the history of Winston-Salem State because I lived in Winston-Salem for a lot of years of my life. And I just think that the legacy that was established there and that built upon by the great players who played for the legendary Clarence Gaines is just something to be admired and something to be illuminated, to let people understand I talk about him having a roster of men is what he coached, and you are a prime example of that. And I know we talked a little bit before we got on air, and that you said you kind of relaxed, you're taking it back, you laid back, but people need to know what Teddy Blunt's about and what Teddy Blunt's trying to do so that they can have an idea of being able to accomplish too. We're trying to drive people to listen to us and learn from us and then go out and do. I heard a minister say one time, Teddy, he said, you can't be anointed unless there's action. He said, there's no anointing without action. So what are you into now? What are you doing now? And tell us about what you're going to do with Stephen A. Smith and all that good stuff. Well, no, I'm just going to be there. It's Stephen's show. I'm there to support whatever initiative that he has on the table, especially not just for Wilmington, but around the country. Because in order for us to do something to help HBCUs, we need to be given a roadmap. And the roadmap needs to be simple. And I think Stephen will probably, you know, talk about that in terms of how people can help, whether it's just a, a slight donation every year. It might be just participating in the Alumni Association. It might be recommending students to go to a particular school. It might be, you know, just having them show at, at a fair where they can learn something about HBCUs. Again, whatever opportunity a young person gets, they ought to take advantage of it. It does not necessarily just have to be an HBCU, but just remember one has the responsibility of giving back. And again, in life, the difference is you could either sit on the sidelines or stand up and do something. Right now is our opportunity to stand and do something. Teddy Blunt, we thank you for standing. We thank you for reminding us to stand. And we appreciate so much the time, consideration, and all the information you have imparted to us on today's broadcast. And one more thing, and one person that really stands out for me that has really helped to accentuate Winston-Salem State University has been Billy Packer from Wake Forest. Billy and I go way, coach. way back. He was and, my coach. And whenever Billy sees me, he acknowledges me. Brian Piccolo, who played with Gail Sayers at Chicago, they both were at Wake Forest when I was in school. And again, those guys never rejected any of us whenever we made 
and approach to them for any help or any assistance. But Billy Packer has always been a special guy, and we've always appreciated the stories that he has told about Winston-Salem, Coach Gaines, Cleo Hill, Earl Monroe. So, again, I'd just like to, you know, give a special shout-out to a person like a Billy Packer. Outstanding. And we're giving a special shout-out to Teddy Blunt and Teddy Blunt's family. Thank you so much, Teddy. God bless you. All right. Thank you for being a part of our podcast. All right. You guys have a good day. Okay. Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, you've heard it. We had another great legend, Mr. Teddy Blunt. I've been your host, Gil McGregor, and we look forward to talking to you the next time. Take care, everybody. Good night. Thank you for tuning in to the podcast. For more information about us, please visit our website at www.bcsportsfoundation.com. Also, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at HBCU for Life. That's HBCU, the number four, life. To be a potential guest on our podcast, contact Ed J. Hayes at ed.j.hayes at gmail.com. Tune in next week for another amazing show.